0: Welcome back to the Basketball Coaches Roundtable podcast. Today, we're honored to have Rex Walters as our guest of the roundtable. Coach Walters is a former first-round draft pick of the New Jersey Nets, former D1 and G League head coach, as well as NBA assistant, and hosts the podcast, Real Talk Basketball, with, with Rex Walters. Um, coach, I appreciate so much uh, for you coming on and, and giving us your time to, to share the game. That um that we all love. You know, thank you so much for being here.
1: No, thank you for having me. It G- gave me something to do on eight o'clock on a on a Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday. I can't remember. These days all run together. So
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's Tuesday. Me. Yeah, that that that's what happens in the in the COVID time. Uh you know. So um so here at the round table, we have um everybody gets to ask you just one question. Um, and so let me introduce everybody to you. We have Chris Ballerini from DeWitt Clinton High School in the Bronx. We have Sean Cloris, who is the assistant coach of Sarah Lawrence in New York. We have Elle Green from Brooklyn Community Arts and Media in Brooklyn. And we have Dakota Stabil, former D2 assistant at Concordia College. So like I said, everybody gets to ask you one question. And I'm going to start because um, I was listening to your, your podcast because you find it's good gems in there. There's a lot of knowledge. Um, Roy Williams was on. He's your former uh, coach at Kansas and he said that you were one of his all-time top five competitors that that he coached. One of the things that we talk about a lot on this podcast is getting our players to compete at the level at which we need them to compete at. So being that you had that high competitive fire how did you get the players that you coached and your teams to to match your competitiveness
1: that was always a struggle uh just to be honest but everything in our practices when i was at USSO, so so much of uh my influences as a coach were by the coaches that i played for and i was lucky i played for great ones chuck daly new jersey nets butch beard um Larry Brown, um, you know, on and on. And then obviously played for Coach Williams, played for Pat Riley. Stan Van Gundy was an assistant coach with the Miami Heat. But a lot of what we did because I was a college coach, uh, even though we would, we kind of transferred to more four out one end because I watched the magic a lot with, with Stan Van Gundy, but a lot of what we did in practice was very competitive and it was structured the way I played at Kansas. Everything was a competition. When I was at Kansas, so everything that we did. So, and there was always uh, uh, consequences and repercussions if you didn't win. Uh, and if you did win, you know, you get water or you'd run. So that's the way we kind of uh, patterned and when I was at USF. And my teams were very competitive, but it's also something that I looked for. It's also something that I looked for in the recruiting process. I wanted guys that loved winning and hated losing. And that was really important. I think it's harder when you're a high school coach, uh, you kind of get what you get. Um, But I think you can, and I've always said this, if I was, and my dream was always to be a high school coach, to be honest with you, but you have to cultivate that in your community as well. So in your camps, in your clinics, in your fall leagues, finding ways to create a a competitive environment. But our practices, uh, pretty much in all the things that we did, I always try to think of a way to make it either a team competition of us achieving a certain goal or an individual competition uh, between one or two guys or a team competition within the team of the blue team versus the red team or at USF some years it was black versus white or gold versus green um, we just always wanted to have everything in our practice have meaning to it and that was really there wasn't a lot of fluff in our practices it it, it got right to it there was a few warm-up drills. Um, but, uh, even in our three on two, two on one, which I probably wouldn't do as much anymore, but, um, cut, we played a thing called cutthroat. We had secondary break game. We had press offense, defense game, and everything was winners and losers. And, and so at the end of practice, uh, and you know, sometimes we did it right after the, the competition, they would run, we'd run or we get water. And if you won, you got water. And if you lost, you had to run a little bit. So, um, um, you know, that's how we made things competitive. There just wasn't a lot of fluff in, in our practice at USF and our teams were, and we recruited tough guys. We had tough competitive. We had to be going against Gonzaga, going against BYU, going against St. Mary's, we had to have a culture of, uh, a highly competitive, tough, physical guys in order for us to have a chance.
0: And, and especially you being the coach, I, I'm assuming you would have the players match your competitiveness. Like
1: we had, a, we, had a, we had a few that did. Angelo Calario, who's playing for McAfee, Tel Aviv, he, he had an unbelievable competitive. Rashad Green, Danny Green's little brother, I got a, a chance to coach him. Highly competitive, competitive guy. Uh, Avery Holmes, Cruz Pinkins, Cole Dickerson, uh, Cody Doolin. We had some really, really and, – and guys that people that didn't play – Jay Way was a great walk-on that competed, you know, Gavin Hoffman was a great walk on that competed. Um, um, We cultivated that, but they had some of that inside them before I got to coach them. Um, But it was was competitive. It it was, it was every day. I mean, those guys felt, and it was a hard thing to balance, quite honestly, because you're challenged at USF academically. You are challenged. It's a great Jesuit education. And so they were like getting hit on all sides, hit academically, you know, and then hit on the basketball court. Um, so I, you know, if I ever get a chance to do it at a place like that, you got to learn how to balance it. And at the same time, make it fun. And at times I was at times serious as a heart attack. And so uh, at 50, I think I probably realized that a little bit better than I did when I was in my, you know, mid thirties and early forties. Yeah,
0: Thank you for that. Chris Ballerini, DeWitt Clinton High School. have a
1: question for Coach? Absolutely. Number one, thank you, Rex, for doing this. Um, So here's the question. You have a wide breadth of experience. You've, You've been in the NBA, you've been in the G League, you've been a head coach at the Division I level. So let's say your dream came true and you took over a high school position, and I'm a high school coach. What would you take from your past experiences and utilize on a high school level? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing is, is, and I talked about a little bit before I, I want my program to almost be a year round program with breaks, you know, you know, season's over, you can take two weeks off, you know, we'll have a fall league. We're going to take some time off summer. We'll have summer league, but we're going to take some time off, but I want it to become an environment and a fabric of the community in that high school area with camps, with clinics, with fall leagues, with youth cam- camps, I want kids dreaming of playing for that high school, going to our games. So I always want to be, because I always feel like kids are going to play with more kids. You know, they're going to play harder when more people show up. We had some really good crowds at USF, so that's one thing I think I would definitely do. I, I wanted, to- I loved camp when I was at USF. I wanted to do camp every year. I wanted to be out there. I wanted to see our guys having fun. I wanted our players involved. Because they're, uh, even at the high school level, those fourth, fifth, sixth graders, they're going to look up to those sophomores, juniors, and seniors. And those guys get the chance to stick their chest out, you know, and and, and be an example. So I think that's one thing I I would try to really become a fabric of the community uh, with, with, like I said before, camps, clinics, Christmas clinics. Um, I think it's really important community service um you know things of that nature to really now people want to get behind your program Uh, obviously from a basketball standpoint you know we're gonna play man to man we're gonna we're gonna play fast we're gonna understand shot selection we're gonna take care of the ball we're gonna be highly competitive people are gonna want to watch us play not just because we win because of what we represent i think that's really important what we represent we play represent hard we play hard we play smart and we play together really unselfishly. And then I think you, you, you kind of build a, a little bit of a culture, um, which I, I don't think I was perfect at it at USF at that time. But I think I've learned a lot along the way that would help because you want to become, like I said, a part of the fabric of your community the best that you can. And you want little kids looking up to your big kids that are playing for you. I hope that answered it. No, that was wonderful. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, Sean Cloris, assistant coach, Sarah Lawrence.
2: Hi, Rex. Thanks. Thanks for the time. Uh, this is awesome. My my question for you is more about your experience of growing as a coach. So you've gone from assistant to a head coach, back to an assistant, all different levels. So my question is, first of all, from all those programs, what have you found to be the most important components of success for a program so if you were taking over a college program or you had that head coaching opportunity what would be the most important things for you to build that and secondly um how have you changed as a coach from being a younger coach and going through those different stages what's what's changed for you now
1: well i i was really blessed so i got to work for homer drew at valparaiso i got to work for ed fritz it was was probably my one of my most fun years at blue valley northwest high school uh, coach Fritz has gone on to be a McDonald's All-American coach, coaching the All-Star game, won multiple state championships. Uh, then worked for Matt Doherty, who coached me at Kansas. Learned a lot. And I think the one, the biggest mistake for young coaches, I would say, is don't be in a rush. Like learn. Like I wasn't ready after what one year as an assistant high school coach, two years at Valpo, and then one year at US, uh, at FAU. After four years, I became a head coach. And I had, a, I had a knowledge base of how I wanted to play and, and how I wanted my teams to look, but I didn't understand, uh, there's a lot of things I didn't understand, uh, the dynamics of young people and how to get the most out of them that I think I've gotten a lot better. Um, I, would, I would really make sure you understand what you're going to coach and how you're gonna coach it. And there should be a plan in place because I thought as a young coach, my frustration wasn't as much at my players, my, my frustration was more and I wasn't able to deliver the message in the way that I wanted to, to get them to play the kind of basketball that they needed to play. And that goes into a lot of thought, uh, a lot of planning, uh, of exactly what it is. And, and I was really fortunate and Matt Dory was phenomenal, Homer Drew was phenomenal. Uh, and then I was a head coach but then I learned a lot when I was working just for a year, understanding Van Gundy and nobody puts more time and thought into the game as he does. I mean, when he watches a game, when he watches clinics, when he watches other people coach and other teams play, he's really trying to formulate how he wants to play and how he wants to teach. And I think that really helped me uh, because I was a, a little bit more, um, I was competitive. All right. I was really competitive and I was fiery. But I think that even today's kid, and I think all kids, like I've always responded to to coaches that made me believe that they believed in me. And I think that I was a challenging coach uh, and I wanted guys that uh, wanted that challenge where you're not going to get 13 guys like that. I got to get guys that believe that, I got to get them to believe in what I'm doing and how it really benefits them as a player and benefits us as a team. And if I can do that, we're going to have uh, guys that love being a part of that program. And that's ultimately what you want, right? If you look at all the great programs, those, those, those players, they want to go back, right? They want to be involved. And I think that's really the goal. And you got to look not just for that season, but you got to look at what do I want this program to represent, you know, 5, 10, 15 years down the line. And it's funny, I think if you do that, you're going to create more opportunities for yourself where you may have to leave. You know what I mean? uh and, and take maybe a, a better job in your opinion so that's what i would probably I w- that's what i would say uh going forward i gave you a lot but but that's what i would say about what i would want to do now uh at 50 as opposed to when i first got my head coaching job at 33 when my hair was on fire
0: that <laughs> uh, was great thank you
1: So oh, thank you
3: l green
0: BCAM high school
3: Hey, Rex, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, we really appreciate you. Um, so I started playing basketball my freshman year was 92, and I remember staying up all night and watching Kansas and watching you get at it like a dog on defense. And I was like, this kid is tough. And I'm, you're older than me, but at that time, I just always valued you as one of the toughest players when you went to a league. league. Um, the game might have got quicker, but your tenacity still stayed the same. Um, and with that said, like, it's a, I'm, I'm uh, listening to that. I have a three-part question, sort of a way, because I'm really excited. I, I don't get this excited much. Um, who was your toughest player in practice that you had to go against? Um, as a pearl, who was the toughest person you had to guard? And what do you look for in your guards? And I ask you that because you're, you're like, um, When I. And, and I know this is, I don't know which way this will go or how you feel. When I was watching Jimmy Butler the other day, Just go on it on both ends. He like I was like this is like an old school Kansas game, and I remember being recruited. And you know I went to Ohio State and I played basketball. You guys had Tamika Dixon during my time, so I I wasn't going there. We battled in New York already as it was, so I went to Ohio State. But I remember like going on a recruiting visit. Like I want to go to Kansas. I want to get in the Phil House and Paul Pierce, and it was just a lot. And um, so those are my three questions. I'm sorry, I'm a little giddy. I'm just excited.
1: Oh, number one, that's awesome. That's good. And I remember Tamika, she was a heck of a player. Uh, we, the girls would always play before us, and they got after it, too. But, um, you know, t- toughest guys to, uh, that I practiced against, oof. Um, let's see. You know, Tim Hardaway was really, really difficult to guard, and I had to guard him every day. I had to guard him every day, and I had to guard Allen, uh, Allen Iverson, uh, pretty much every day. And Allen was really hard because he had a fearlessness of, like, he didn't care if you missed three, four, five shots. He was going to come at you all the time. Now, we, you know, we joke about the whole practice thing, practice. Like, he didn't always have to come, you know, come to practice. Whereas Timmy was a little bit different. Timmy had an unbelievable and unwavering confidence and, like, not a, a, a discipline to his game, and it was just so strong, like he could score in the post. People don't know he was our best post player. Uh, he was obviously our best three-point shooter. He was unbelievable. Like not the not the same quickness as Allen, but could get you going in different directions as opposed to just Allen could just go by you. Um, so those you know those two were the most difficult for me to guard, and and and, and it was always harder for me to guard guys that played with the fearlessness. Um, when I was playing the point or when I was playing the two, more when I was playing the two, because when scores are coming at you, um, that's when it gets really, really tough. Um, but th- those guys were, were phenomenal uh, and, and hard for me to guard. And, and Timmy was always tired, so sometimes I'd get Timmy. I was really good when he was coming off a back-to-back game and we were practicing the next day. I was a lot better player. Um, and then what do I look for in guards? I think the first thing is always, I always say this, pass, handle, shoot, guys. I want guys that, that, when I say pass, that means they make really good decisions. They deliver the ball when it needs to be delivered. They deliver it on time, on target. That's really important to me. Uh, with the ball handling, they can get to where they need to get to for my offense, or the offense to, to, to function the way it needs to function. They can get the ball where it needs to go, and they can get to places that they need to go in order to create offense for themselves or for them te- their teammates. And then, obviously, I want guys that – I say shoot it, but I'll make it. I want makers. I always say, oh, we, want, we, want, we don't want shooters, we want makers. You know, we want guys that can – and then knowing what shots they can and cannot make. You know, I don't want guys experimenting during a game. I don't even want them experimenting during a practice. I want them to experiment when they're on their own. Uh, so those are the three things. And then I, I, I talked about this. I love guys that love winning and hate losing. Like when I watch a player as a recruiter, that was a big thing for me. It's like, okay, what is he gonna be like, right, when they're up 20 with three minutes to go? Are they gonna they're gonna keep the foot on the pedal? What are they gonna do when they're down 10 with three minutes to go? Are they gonna fight and just claw and just compete, even when they're outmanned? You know, like when we watched this series, I thought that the Lakers were bigger, more athletic right? And I thought the only way Miami was going to have a chance is they had to have great will and great skill. You know, that was the only chance in and, and, and two nights they had that. Um, but uh, so so that's, that's what I really look for in guards. Um, and I, I talk about this, you know, can they listen? Can they watch? Can they do? Like, will they listen to me? Right? Will they watch other players and learn from other players in practice? And then Will they be able to take those things that they listen and watch? Or will they be able to do it on the floor so they can be an example? Because your guards, you're going to set the table. You know, I know we're getting to more positionless basketball. But at the end of the day, your best ball handlers, whether he's your biggest guy, or your smallest guy, they got to be able to be able to translate and transfer what you're trying to get your team to do and be an example for it.
3: So um, just thank you so much. I was just telling them I was just coming back from workouts and I started it competitive, uh, 25 blurpees, backboard touches and rim touches and the loser. So if Ben and I are going at it and Ben loses, I get to have Ben do a consequence. Yeah. So, um, that's how we started out workouts today. So it was pretty competitive. I
1: love, I love it. I mean, I, I just think that it's, you know, and, and even in my shooting stuff now, when I work out players, uh, I work out my son a lot. And at times we, we, we get a little it gets a little feisty because everything is going to be competitive. There's going to be if we're going to shoot uh, one minute threes, okay, this is this is how many you gotta get. If we're gonna do pick and roll, side pick and roll, slot pick and roll, okay, we're going till we make five. And we're gonna go hard. And if you know it's gonna be either timed or there's gonna be some type of tangible goal. You know, I mean, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna do some skill develop and and, and and get reps, but also I think it's important and I think it builds confidence. When they can achieve certain goals in your shooting drills, right? Uh, That—that's when you see um, confidence really. grow. I'm not a confidence giver, but I think the drills that we do, when they're able to achieve them, instill confidence in them. So, hopefully, that helps.
0: I, I have a follow-up because three out of five of us are, you know, have children. I, Dakota has. got No, I, no, I, I know. No, no, we we got him. I just wanted I just wanted
1: to okay, follow up. Okay, okay. he runs the show. <laughs> oh, okay, I got you. I got you. He's got executive powers. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm my own producer. Um, how how do you find working with your with your son? You said like, will he listen to dad? Like, how is it coaching your son?
1: It can be hard. It, it, it's hard. Um, we took a little break. Quite honestly, we 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 get after a little bit, and we took a little break because. And I told him this, I said, I don't want to I don't want to be your coach and your father. I want to be number one first and foremost your father. And if I'm on you at home about making your bed, getting your homework done, you know, getting you know keeping things clean, saying please, saying thank you. And then we go to the gym and I'm doing it again. It's like you you never get to we never get to just be father and son. So we we've taken a little break because cause you know I'm I am i am on him hard and probably even more so in some ways with the basketball, cause it's harder. Like, you know, if your feet, if you don't have 10 feet to the, to the rim on your shot, if, if you're not pounding that ball on your last dribble on a pull-up, you know, if you don't keep your eyes on the rim the entire time, and I'm telling him all that, I'm like, gosh, I'm just hitting him. Like literally he's around me and all I'm doing is coaching him all the time. So I was like, Hey, we, we just need a little break. You know what I mean? We need a little break right now. And he's a, he's a good player. Like I, I probably don't tell him enough. I tell other people, I don't tell him enough. But he's a good player. Um, but I'm just, you know, we, we needed to break. So at times, it, my daughter was different. My my oldest daughter who played at Santa Clara, she's a great listener. She's an A to B kid. She just wants to know exactly what to do. She's very linear thinker. Um, so it was it's easy for her. And even she would look at me like, "Ooh, dad, like, like it's a lot for him." <laughs> you know what I mean? He's only a junior in high school. So I said, I just said, "Hey, we need to take a little break and just I want to be your dad for a while." So it can be a challenge, Ben.
0: Oh, I, I, I'm right there with you on that. You know, I only have a 10-year-old, and you know, it's 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 a challenge. You know, at at 10, he knows more than you know me.
1: Oh, it's amazing! It's amazing how much more they know than you. It's amazing. I know,
0: I know. Um, Dakota, I didn't mean to cut you off. (laughs) You got a question for for Rex? Yeah. No.
4: Uh, thanks for thanks for being Rex. I've um, been to a bunch of, you know, different places, whether it's a, it's a rebuild or it's a, um, it's a slow transition, we'll say to the top. Yeah. And, you know, just what are some of the things that, you know, you've seen or that you do every day, day in and day out to really get that buy in from the kids, like individually, and then as a team as well. Um,
1: well, I'll tell, you things that I, yeah, I'll tell you things that I've learned along the way that I didn't yeah. know early, right. Perfect. You got to spend time, you, you got to spend time, with them, like uh, when I was in Detroit, I got, was really fortunate. I got to work with a guy named Reggie Bullock and Luke Kennard. And just I had tape from every day. Not Nothing crazy, just five to ten minutes of tape, corrections, and good. Like that was a – I was a great correction coach. I could correct a lot of things. But they, they – you know, and, and Dean Smith said it best, applaud the actions you want repeated. So I always wanted to mix it in or either and or start with really positive stuff and then I really wanted them to talk more so than I talk. Um, and that's probably a little bit harder as a coach with a team, but I think you need to ask more questions because I think it's really important for you as a coach and me as a coach to really know what they're thinking to help their understanding. And so you know where they're coming from, because even today in high school, middle school, college, even the NBA, they've got a thousand things going on in their life. And, and, and now with social media, They're getting hit by so many things, whether positive. A kid will get upset if they don't get enough likes on their Instagram post. You know what I mean? So the last thing they need now is to come to practice. And it's, it's supposed to be a place that, yeah, they want to get better, but it's a place that they can't, they're playing basketball for you because they love basketball. You don't want that place to be now a place where like, oh, geez, now I got to get hit here too. You know what I mean? So you want to get them talking, them communicating, and you like guiding as opposed to, and I did this, like forcing it down their throat, right? I think it's really important to get their buying by, and, and I'm not saying you gotta be their best friend and, and you gotta hold them accountable. But I think it's really, really important that, that they know why the academy. today's generation is a why academy. Like Coach Williams said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. And you didn't ask a question. I remember Pat Riley, when I, when I signed with Miami Heat, my first time walking up to Pat, I just signed the contract. I hadn't met, I hadn't met him yet. I signed my contract for the rest of the season. And he looked at me and says, you know the deal? And I said, yeah, I do. I had no idea what the deal was. I had no idea what the expectations were. I was just going to come and play as hard as I could to be on that team. And, and that won't work nowadays. You know, you got to explain uh, the why and the how. And you got to get them to talk. And that's hard because they're here. They're, they're here and and so that's a challenge you, you you know um but yeah i think that's really really important as opposed to uh it all coming from you i hope that helps yeah
4: yeah definitely and um you know just a, a quick follow-up you know what so a lot of the times is when teams hit adversity they might be they seem together up until that point until they hit a losing streak or something like that especially when you know you're implementing a new system or you know a new style. Um, so how do you, how do you adjust course at that point and, and kind of bring them all back and, and keep them together?
1: So we're playing Santa Clara, uh, probably my fourth or fifth year. We had put into Princeton, we, we, we had put into Princeton and we weren't very, we, we didn't have a pick and pop five. We didn't have a skilled five. We're at halftime at Santa Clara We're down 14. And I just finally looked at our guys at halftime and I was like, Hey, um, let's try to get a paint touch. You know, let's try to get a layup, an open jump shot, or get to the line, um, and let's just simplify things. And, and we, we end up going down 14. We, we win that game running away, right? It can't be about you, and it can't be about me as a coach. You've got to figure out what they need. And I put this on my desk, like my last three years, I said, hey, great father, great husband, what do my players need from me? And I really started to make it about that. What do they need from me? Um, because yeah, you may have the best system, you may have um, the best X's and O's, but but you got to get them to believe in what you're doing. So when things are going bad, you got to take a look at yourself, but also you got to take a look at what do they need right now. And another great story, and I wasn't there for this, but I remember this, when Roy his first year they were, they were really good up to a certain point, and they just couldn't win a game. They just kept losing. And, and one of the best things Coach Williams did was he called them all in. I'll never forget this story. He calls them all in. we got a meeting tonight, 7 o'clock, and he walks in, and he's got a big bag of popcorn, and they watched Rocky. <laughs> they watched Rocky. You know, instead of practice and, and beating them up in the head, like we just, they needed to laugh. They needed to, like, you know, cry, smile, talk. And, they, they, you know, they kind of righted the course. And he, he just figured out, this is what they need. You know, they don't need another day of me busting them over the head on this is how we got to do it. You know what I mean? Um, so, it's just, it's just a thought, you know. And, and he's a Hall of Famer and a great coach. And sometimes it's really about what they need as opposed to what you need as a coach. Thanks, Coach.
0: No problem. Sean, you, you said you had a follow-up that you wanted
2: to ask? Um, hey, I actually wanted to go back to recruiting and evaluating players for a minute. I know you talked about um, kind of competitiveness as a trait and talked about some of the things you'd look for in guards. But I was just curious, when you go on recruiting, a lot of times coaches talk about potential that a player has and you know he could get to this level if he does A, B, C, and D. Um, in your mind, in your evaluation process, Do you think there are certain skills and certain traits that are just innate versus, you know, uh, learnable skills and like how, how much plays into that where the player is now versus what he or she could be? I'm just curious on your thoughts.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I'm more into – yeah, Yeah, you like the physical attributes of a player. You, you, you want guys that have great – I want guys that can think the game. I want guys that understand the game. I want guys, like I said before, Pat, if you can pass and you can handle, right, and you can shoot, that means you're skilled. And, and I wanted really skilled guys because I think when you get to a certain – I think like middle school coaches and high school coaches are so important because you're the one that's really trying to help them build the right habits. Because when they get to college now, it's going to be really tough to change those habits. You know what I mean? Um, but, I, you know, I always have looked for those. And, I, and I, again, I, I say this. I wanted guys that loved winning and hated losing. Like, it, it bothered them. And that's really hard now in the AU environment. They're playing 100 games now. Um, but I wanted those guys that I thought did that. And I made mistakes. Some guys didn't, didn't love it as much as I thought they did. They didn't hate it losing as much as I thought that, they would. But um, those are the things I always look for. And, and I think that, you know, their environment where they come from, my father was a was a great athlete. Um, my, my brother was a great athlete. My mother was competitive. You know, so I, I, that's kind of where I came from. Um, but also uh, as a college coach, who coached them? Like who? That, I think that's really important. Like who coached them? And did he really, you know, coach them? And then if he has a workout guy, which I never had a workout guy, and that's one thing I told my son, I never had a workout guy when I was growing up, but, but is that guy going to tell him the truth? Because I think that the biggest thing now is can kids handle the truth when you give it to them? Because if they can't, they're going to, they're going to hit a certain level and they're going to stop, right? Their talent will no longer, I was going to tweet about today. Like if you can't handle the truth, it doesn't matter how gifted or talented you are. You can't, you're not going to take that next step because eventually guys that physically overpower guys, when they are not able to do that, they have nothing to fall back on. And that's when, when the shooting comes in play, the passing comes in play, the understanding of the game takes play, uh, takes effect. And I think that those things are just so important and, and probably because I was at San Francisco and I knew I wasn't going to get the physical, physically, uh, you know, that man child that Gonzaga was going to get. So I needed to beat him with will and skill. You know, that was, that was our way of, of trying to really compete and, and beat those guys. So I really looked for that. That was important to me.
0: Let me, let me ask you uh, one, one last question. Um, what, what do you think is the most undervalued skill that players today
4: have?
1: I, you know, Jimmy Butler is a prime example. Like, he just competes. Like, there's no agendas with him. It's just, I just want to win. That's, that's it. And I think when, when, when kids can cut out all the noise, which is hard now, Instagram, Twitter, you know, TikTok, like it's, you know, and they can just cut out the noise and make it about, hey, how do I make this group of guys better? How can I get this group of guys to compete and win? That, that's the most important skill. You know, I've seen guys that couldn't shoot it, weren't great passers, weren't great shooters, but they could rally a team and make them believe. I want that guy on my team. You know, I had a guy named Brent Cruz, wasn't a great shooter. He was my power. He was a power forward as a junior. He was my point guard as a senior just because of that. He could rally guys and make them – and just – it was no agendas. It was like, what do we have to do to win? And so, if you can – I think that's the most powerful thing because Jimmy's not a great shooter, right? He's He's a hell of a player right? But there's no agendas with him. And and those guys now are few and far between. So when you get one, man, whew, count your blessings. You know, you got something special. You got a chance to do something special. Rex Walters, thank you for your time. I mean,
0: it's it's been amazing, uh, like a wealth of knowledge. And uh, uh,
1: I appreciate you coming on and, and just helping us grow. No, pray, Thank you so much. It's always fun to talk about, but I haven't had a chance to do it. The playoffs are over. So, yeah I got my basketball filled for a few days at least or a few hours That year when you came in in ninety 93- three yeah you can that ask was, whatever you want i'm an open book man that
0: that yeah. that's like that was like a, a traumatic summer for us i bet yeah a- and and you were coming in as, as a shooting guard yeah you know like what, was, what was, no was draws? that I
1: was that was that was the problem i was no draws Draws. <laughs> special.
0: oh yeah but yeah. but like what what was that um what was the culture like you know like how was the organization after that
1: uh you know I, that's, back, that's when you had the old Secaucus 7, who I never really met. I, I didn't meet really any of the owners. We had a Christmas party. Um, you know, the organization was a little bit of flux. You know, Willis was still the GM. Yeah. Willis did a good job. But obviously, you lose a player of that magnitude in and Dra- Petrovic. You know, they had a good team. I mean, Chuck, oh, I've been asked this before. Chuck was there to try to really make a run again. When you have a guy like Draz, Derek Coleman, Kenny Anderson, mm-hmm. you really had some good pieces there. Uh, they lost, I think, the series the year before to Cleveland, which was an up-and-coming team with Mark Price and Ron Harper, Craig Elo, Brad Doherty, uh, Larry Nance Sr., uh, mm-hmm. and Derek played phenomenal. Um, so it was disappointing. It went from a team that they thought, hey, we could maybe build this thing to all of a sudden, oof, you know, we just lost a, a potential all-star uh, uh, and really the leader of that team. I mean, you know, when your best player is also your, uh, hardest worker, which everyone knows draws was, that's when you have a chance to really be something, you know, and even though his English probably wasn't as good as they would want, he'd been in the States for a while. I never met him. I actually coached his nephew at USF, but, um, so yeah, that was difficult. That was a difficult one. And I know it was a difficult one for Chuck and Chuck, you know, honored his contract, but he was there to try to win championships. And, and, um, I wouldn't at that point anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the year before they got the they had a break, Kenny had his uh wrist broken going yep. into you know
1: and got a good memory. Know.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I mean by for for me, uh, you know, Kenny and Drazin were like the best backcourt. It's great you back, know, Great backcourt. You know, uh just just amazing. And so that was those 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 years we thought we had something. And yeah. we just you know, something ultimately always happened, (laughs) you know, like, that's just, that's just what it was.